Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So yes, all all of that. Stop doing reorgs, y'all. Just stop it. Just start doing this instead. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Aloha, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about reasons to not get started. The mental gymnastics teams perform to delay kicking off transformation. But before we kick that off, let's delay with the check-in. <laughs> it's not a delay. It's a very critical start to <laughs> any true. It's an intentional, meeting. deliberate beginning. <sighs> exactly. So my super secret check-in round question for today is this. <laughs> what is your next tattoo going to be? Oh, see, that's interesting because I only have one and I've only had one for more than a decade. So I kind of skipped the addiction thing. But I do constantly think about the things that I want to like change about how I show up in the world and what the other arm should be. So my Uh left arm says discipline, which is I always wanted to have this incredible discipline to realize all my dreams and be the best I can be. And I think the other one needs to say something about either being in the moment, which is a very cliche, but very real tattoo need, or perhaps something about gratitude or appreciation. So it's going to be a complimentary word in equally fanciful pirate script, but I can't decide yet what the, what the meaning is going to be. I love it. Did you know that I have a tattoo that says now? Oh, I do know that too, too. That's a good one, actually. I mean, it's the the presenting tattoo. Thanks. You, you can copy it. Ed already did. He got the same tattoo in the same font in the Jesus. same place, which I thought was yeah. rude. But now that it's now that the seal is broken, I sincerest form for of it. flattery. Exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's what he says. Um, so I just came back from vacation. I came back two weeks ago and it feels like it never happened. But while I was on vacation, I was on a beach in the Caribbean and I went on a really long swim every day. And the end point of my swim every day was this very sort of broken down boat but it was called bet on me and it was in a really cool font and I'm going to figure out a tattoo. Oh yes. It says bet on me. Did you take a picture? Just, I did. I took several oh, pictures. It just, it was like, I, I went into vacation in a hole, a burnout hole, like a solitary confinement windowless hole of burnout. And then this, this rejuvenating swim every day, I was like, yeah, bet on me, man. I, it, I always, I always come up basis. I dig so, that. Let's go, let's go to get tattoos the next time we're together. All right. Okay. So today's topic is why we start by starting in this work or why your excuse or your boss's excuse 
for not starting might be total nonsense. We're going to unpack the objections to new ways of working today because we get a lot of questions from y'all about how to get started, how to overcome the excuses, and how to pitch this kind of work to your boss. So I'm going to start by asking you, why is this so important and why is this topic so like evergreen to us? Well, I think it's it's important because we hear it all the time. So Every it day. is, you know, if a hundred or a thousand people come at the ready in a year, half of them are super excited to do this work. And then there's just this one more thing that has to get sorted out before they can begin. And I think what it really connects to is the reality that even though we can be in, you know, emotionally and cognitively excited about transformation and about the future of work and new ways of working, there is that part of us that is afraid or that is concerned or that is cautious and that wants to kind of protect us from what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And it comes out in all these little, you know, cracks and crevices. I I didn't even think about that part. It's so true. And there might even be an emotional thing here that I've not pondered, which is the counterweight to the excitement about emergence and continuous steering and starting by starting is this like, well, what if we just um, <laughs> like got a little bit of a handbrake on that and just like got some got some more stakeholders online, got some totally. more plans, got a few more milestones written down. It's like, oh, I'm excited about, about emergence. Then it's like, oh, I'm freaking out. I mean, I'm guilty, right? So if you think about the the night before I really start training or dieting or something, I'm definitely <laughs> like, mm, one more night. I'm going to have a, this is, we're going to have cake tonight and then we'll diet tomorrow, right? Like, or we'll just pick this up on the weekend. You know, and it's not that I don't want it, but I just, ooh, I really need that last victory lap before I get back to the hard work. Of course. As a person who has a juice cleanse in my calendar that has yeah. been there planned six weeks out, I'm just like, <laughs> here's all the living I'm going to do before that. Yeah. So, so let's just, we're, we're going to pick off the most, the, you know, the MVPs, the highlight reel of avoidance maneuvers that we see. Let's start with the old meet them where they are. So what we hear sometimes is, let's do it. Let's go. And then we talk about what going would look like, whether that's verbally or in a statement of work. And then what we get is like that, that getting into the work is too radical. We Mm. need you to meet us where we are with plans, et cetera. So what do you do in that moment so that we don't, you know, I always joke, I don't want to meet clients where they are because they live in a shithole. I'd rather bring them (laughs) to where I am because that's what, you know, that's why they're hiring us. It's not under construction. You're going to love it here. So, so what do you think about that one? Well, I think it's in some ways, this is the most pernicious form of resistance because it's saying we want to change, but we want to do it with the old trappings. So it's um, I almost don't even consider it an objection in a way because it's so subtle, but it's Mm. basically saying like, hey, we want to do a Gantt chart to get to an agile system. And we always talk about start the way you mean to finish on this show. And you can't start that way if you mean to finish in a place that's transparent and human and adaptive and organic. And so I think it is, it's a very subtle way of staying attached to the things that give us confidence and a sense of control. Uh, What I tend to try to do to navigate that is in the contracting process as early as possible, start to throw shade at some of that stuff. (laughs) So it's pretty clear that I'm not the guy. And then if it does come up, I will usually meet somewhere in the middle if they just have to have it, I will I will try to contain the reality of what we're going to do and the emergence of what we're going to do in something that feels 
plan like, you know, I'll uh-huh. put a wrapper on it that feels like this might be a little bit safer than, than maybe how I would introduce it to a more progressive or radical organization. But to be honest, that doesn't always work. Yes. Yes, it does not. <laughs> what, what's so funny about it is that, of course, as soon as we get into the work, clients are inevitably like, oh, this is far more disciplined than I was expecting it to be. Right. It's right. Like, it's the inverse problem. Yeah, we right? didn't make a plan for you. We're doing work with you. I know it feels wild, but it's it followed is by waffling versus like, uh, you know, lack of total planning followed by clarity and discipline. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think plus one to all of that. And a lot of times what I'll work with clients on is early on in contracting is, you know, what would outcomes for three months from now look like? Yes. And doing that collaboratively, part of the whole overcoming the plan thing too is like, so much of this work is not ours to do. It is mm-hmm. the client's to do with our shepherding and support and stewarding and inspiration and all of that. And so I'm like, dude, I can't tell you what the plan. What's your right. plan? Right. Like, are you going to, is it going to take you a month to set up a meeting? Cause What's like bothering that you? happens yeah, sometimes exactly. and I don't have a ton of control over yeah. that. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's an important one. What about all of the pre meetings? So this feels like a different flavor of that where it's like, well, if we don't get every single stakeholder who might say no aligned and bought in and supportive, it's never going to work. Yeah, that to me is like the red flag where I do pull the ripcord. Oh. I don't I don't play that game. For me, it's like a two drink maximum. Like you get two meetings of of feeling out and and contracting and expanding and understanding. And then my sense is always we're gonna know more if we just do. Yeah. So let's just pretend that it's not for real. Like you let whoever you're hoping to engage, fine. Let's do a sample with them of the work rather than just talk about this shit, because I can't take it. So I would aggressively promote, let's do a little mini workshop or let's do a working session or let's play with cards or let's do something with our hands because I can't be in 15 meetings of like, what is it and why is it? And Phil, do you have any questions? No, no, I don't have any questions. What about you, Karen? Do you have any questions? No, I don't have any questions. That stuff just absolutely strips my soul. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it feels very much like start by starting. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it also gives you a gauge of the willingness because it's like, oh, well, our CFO would never come to a session like that. It's like, well, then why does that person have a vote? Clearly, that right. person isn't interested in doing this work. So can that person block this work? Do you want right. to do it without her? Because like she's not coming and she's not coming now. She's also not going to come later. Probably. That's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. What about our most top favorite <laughs> reason to hate <laughs> on, which is we're in the middle of a reorg. Yep. We've been we've been reorging once a year for six years. So, yep. you know, 50% of the time we're in a reorg and we're in one right now and we just need to finish it up and let the dust settle on the reorg. That's right. And then we can start this work. My absolute favorite version of this is when they are literally just starting the reorg. Sure. And they're like, that's the reason why we can't do this work. <sighs> I know. To me, this is a very expected and and frustrating, but ultimately understandable objection For most people in most cultures, in most businesses, they are under the impression that the only kind of culture change and transformation that they can really do is a reorg. Yeah. And that somehow when they start to scratch the surface of what is all this ways of working stuff, it feels like something that sits on top of the sandwich, right? Like it is, it's icing to the structure as opposed to our understanding of it, which is actually 
it's all the stuff that informs and shapes the structure. Mm-hmm. And so I always have a moment of exasperation and like steam coming out of my ears and head when someone tells me like, we can't start because we just started a reorg because I'm thinking we should be doing like, we should be, <laughs> we should be participating in that and shaping that with the learning that comes from this work. But yeah. because they don't have a mental model for that, I think we just get stuck in this like coaching training, you know, technique kind of part of the mental model instead of the part about this is actually going to inform what the structure should be. Yeah. Is that your experience as well? Of course. And it's our first principle around structure work is almost always (laughs) organize around the work. Right. So if you're going to change your ways of working, what the fuck are you organizing around right now? You're organizing around the people or the power structure or the org chart or the product or something else. You, if you, if you really want to change your way of working, do that first because when new ways of working are done well and really owned by a team or a team of teams, the structure becomes so dead obvious to everyone that it takes not a lot of time and not a lot of lift to write it down. It's yes. like, oh, now that we're in an in a cross-functional operating rhythm, really organized around the most important deliverables of this business, it's really obvious to us who a team is. Let's right. make them a team. It just it's it's not it doesn't take that much wrestling, but most people just go at it the other way around. They're like, first we'll make the org chart, then we'll fix the meetings. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> fix the meetings and the decision-making and the role clarity and understanding what the work is of this group. And then the org chart will write itself. And the reason the reason folks tend to resist that is that that other work is harder. It's harder to dictate from the top, right? Sure. Changing the way people meet and decide and do strategy and prioritize and all that stuff. That is intensely uh, human and intensely messy stuff. Yeah. It's very easy, however, to get into PowerPoint and just move some boxes around. And oh be God. like, now you report to to Phil, and that's that's that. And I think that um, the exercise that typically happens is you go in, you take the teams you already have, and start to get them talking about who are we, why are we, how we meet, how we decide, how we move the work forward, what our workflow looks like, you know, get, limiting work in progress, all that stuff that starts to force focus and clarity. And then to your point, it becomes really obvious, like, oh, wait a second, we're not configured, right? Or Mm -hmm. that team over there is doing the same thing as we are. Or now that we have all this transparent work in progress, we can see where the overlap is. All that stuff becomes clear. And what I have done with teams time and time again, that is amazing how predictive it is, is you get then a group of people, it's fine if it's leadership, but it could be literally almost any group in in the company, and you get them into a room and you break them up into groups and you say, go draw the structure that would answer all of our needs, right? What does good look like? What is a perfect organization capable of? And then go draw it. And they all go draw it. And then they come back. And I would say to a letter, their their drawings are within 90% of each other. Like they are virtually the same idea. And everyone is surprised every time. And I'm never surprised. Yeah. And then it becomes a question of, all right, now do we roll out this org chart at scale? Nope. Now we find a place in the organization where we can model that new structure at a smaller scale that's safe to try. And we run that experiment for a little while. And then, and only then, now we have ways of working and a demonstrated experiment. Now we do it at scale. 
Yeah. And, and the other thing about this and, you know, like we always say, the, 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 uh, the tagline of this show should just be turtles all the way down, but it's not that dissimilar to the conversation we just had about the plan, which is it's, it's going to change. And if you start by starting, you're going to learn the most important things. And, and I had er, early on in a, in an engagement that I did at the ready, I was working with a team that had to launch, basically launch a new business. And so it was a cross-functional team. They all had day jobs. And we pulled this team together as a mission-based team to figure out an ancillary business. And I had a lot of tense moments at the beginning because they were really grippy about who was going to be there and what roles were going to be represented and which teams needed to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, y'all, just take a swag at it. We're, we're going to figure it out. Lo and behold, you know, yep. two weeks in, we have a board of in-progress work with backlog. We're getting into a meeting rhythm. And each week for maybe two weeks, someone goes, I'll talk to Daniel about that. Daniel's in digital. I'll bring that to Daniel. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the third week, someone brings a triage item that's like, should Daniel be on this team? Right. Yes. But if we had brought Daniel to the team week one, no one would have known what to do with him. Right. This is what happens when you just get into it and start working in the work is you have to trust the team will notice these things and figure them out and then steer as they go. So we could have spent those three weeks talking about who should be in the room. But the reality is in three weeks, we got a bunch of stuff done and then figured out what was missing. And what is critically important about that story you just told is not just the outcome we, that you got, which is Daniel is correctly embedded, but also it models the continuous participatory change behavior that we want to have happening forever. Yes. So we don't want to have to have a reorg two years from then. If we've learned to sense tension and opportunity and bring people like Daniel in and possibly invite people out, yes. depending on how the work is shifting, then we don't need to play that game anymore. We can exactly. just play the game of continuously adapting the membership and the projects in the mix. Exactly. And I'm so glad you said that because in that same team, a few weeks later, one of the people from marketing brought a triage item that said, I don't think I belong on this team anymore. I'm out. I think the work that was mine to do is done. Yes. Can you just pull me in as needed? So yes, all, all of that. <laughs> stop doing reorgs, y'all. Just stop it. Just start doing this instead. Okay. Okay. So on to number three, which is a close contender for, for <laughs> top of the mountain as well. The the classic objection or or excuse of we, we have a key leader to hire or maybe even multiple key leaders to hire that we're in the midst of filling these new roles or someone has just left or whatever, and we're going to have a new CTO or a new CIO or a new CMO or whatever the hell it is, or all three of them. And so we should really wait until they get here, don't you think? Don't yes. you think, Rodney? Should we wait until they get here? I don't think you should <laughs> wait. Although I kind of just committed this foul myself very recently. But 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 <laughs> here's but here's the the nuance actually that I think is interesting. So I low key committed this party foul around our new growth person that we made an episode about. Please still send us your referrals, thank you, because we're doing all this work in growth circle, and I was like will this person have a lot more catching up to do if we launch this particular part of our customer discovery process without them? And there are ways to get at that. But what I came down on, which is germane to this objection, is in a very nascent space where you're bringing in a specialist for the first time and a lot of stuff hasn't been figured out, 
it might be worth bringing that person in to go on the ways of working journey. And nine and a half times out of 10, when we hear this objection, that is not the case. The case is we're hiring a new COO and we're an established organization and we just don't want to do this work without them. And the reality is what we want is to have our ways of working, our ways of budgeting, structuring, steering our strategy, having meetings, using tools, making and consenting to agreements. So routine and so essential to the fabric of who we are as an organization that we are inviting people into that. And it, it, it feels just like it's it's the magnet for them and it's part of why they're coming and they are willing to be indoctrinated and not right. the other way around. Not this is a thing that we've been dabbling with that now we need to like get somebody to do. It's like, no, no, this is the way we work and we would like you to also work this way. And if you're not down, don't take this job. You literally took the words right out of my mouth. This is exactly what I wanted to say about this one. It is always so shocking to me when someone says they're waiting for someone to start because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, do you not have any identity? Mm. Like you're, you're waiting for this person to come in and tell you what your identity is Yeah. as a company, as a culture, as a, as a community. That would be so strange for like New York City to be like, whoa, 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 everybody. We can't be New York City right now. We have to wait for the new mayor and yeah. see what the new mayor thinks we should be. It's like, no, fuck that. We're New York City. Like, yeah. this is who we are. This is how we roll. This is what we're all about. And what is funny to me is it belies a lack of commitment and a lack of confidence in ourselves that we want to lay down tracks, that we want to make commitments around principles and practices and be like, this is who we are. And to your point, you're welcome to join us and further shape that. But we're not waiting to define who we are until you get here. This party's already started. Yeah, exactly. So don't wait. It's just an <laughs> excuse. Don't do it. Except for that one out of 10 times. Except for the one out of 10 times when it's really like, we have no idea. Right. Yeah, exactly. If it's true that you don't have answers to those questions and you really don't know and you really don't want to declare, then by all means, wait. But that sounds like early, early days to me. That does Very not sound like days. a $10 billion company. That's exactly right. Okay, next up, closer still to home is <laughs> we're already doing some blah de blah some training, some change initiatives, some consulting, some whatever with someone else that's not the ready. And so we feel like we really should wait to wrap that up until we engage with you. How does that land? Not well. <laughs> we're already doing this leadership academy. How is this different? So a couple things. One is... Most of the other things you're doing that you'd like to finish first are not things that are going to fundamentally change the DNA of your organization. So they are the what? They are things that go in the container. They are the new strategy that you paid a lot of money for. They are the new brand that the agency created for you. They are the new training academy that you went through in a classroom setting separate from your... They're separate from the work which doesn't mean that they don't have value. But what it does mean is that your ways of working can either pull those things into your organization or those things can just exist on a separate plane and not mean anything to anyone. So it's not we do one and then the other. It's if we have strategy work underway with a strategy consultancy that's doing a market, a global market analysis for us and is going to tell us what the right regional play is for us, 
what is the OS that's going to support that? What is what are the mechanisms? What's the resourcing? What are the design principles? What are the what's the mastery look like for this new thing we're going to go after? It's everything in the OS is how you bring those things to life and how they become a part of your organization. So you can't just do one and then the other one. They should always be done in a feedback loop. So I'm glad you said that because my my thinking was a little different here. Not that not that that's not the case. I think what you just described is absolutely true. And there's this magic uh, alchemy that comes from embedding and connecting those things. But because I actually think one of the main objections hiding behind this one is just about time. Oh, and totally. so which is which is a whole nother one on our list. So we'll kind of pick it off here in suite. But like we, you know, we're already spending a lot of time in these meetings on this brand yeah. thing or yeah. on this training thing or this bias thing or whatever the hell it is. And so it feels like a lot to ask to add one more thing to everyone's plate right now. It's kind yeah. of the undertone of what I hear. And what I always think about in the back of my head there is, well, why don't we focus our transformation effort then in the early moments on giving people time back? Sure. That's if you're good already one. so strapped that you can't add one more thing to the plate, maybe there's a problem in the work in progress and the way we visualize work and the way we assign or accept work or the way we say no. There's all these things that come up when we get into workflow and, and ways of working around deciding what we'll do and when we'll do it and who will do it that get time back. I mean, yeah. you know, least of which is just canceling stupid meetings, but like yeah. there, you know, there could be 20 to 50% of your week given back if you take this stuff super seriously. And so I, I always find that funny as well. Like, well, you don't have time because of your OS. And so, you know, to not work on the OS is to, is to deny, you know, the round wheel and stick with your square wheel in some way, shape or form. So I understand the resistance and the, and the feeling of overwhelm, but it is one of those things like with your to-do list and the getting things done method where like at some point you just have to look at the table and be like, I got to process this stuff and I got to like clean house a little bit. And this yeah. can be a good way to do that. Yeah. And and the other thing, I mean, how many times have you started working with a new group that feels like they have, for example, a new strategy or a, we'll just call it that for the sake of argument. And one of the first moves I very often make with a group is a session around clarifying and reacting to the strategy. So it's like, right. use right. a new way of working to make use of this other thing that you have, rather right. than being like, oh, we'll deal with that over there. And this over here, it's like, there are ways to integrate them. And I also love your point about just, okay, great. Well, how do we also clear some space? Yeah. And to your point, it's these change areas around the OS, these ways of working shifts are ever present inside the work. Everyone always yes. thinks of it as this extra thing, like it's a training session or it's this add-on. It's not. It's happening in the actual work, in the actual projects, in the actual roles, in the room, in the meeting. And as a result of that, it's more akin to changing the way you walk yeah. and then saying like, I don't have time to change the way I walk. Well, you're already walking. Yeah. So it's you're walking around the house. And so I just want you to change your gait so that you get a little bit of a healthier, easier, you know, more, more uh, smooth walk. That's what we're talking about when we talk about doing this work, not, oh, I need you to also spend an hour a day in this room. It's like, yeah. no, I want to change the way you walk while you're doing all the stuff you already do. And you're going to feel better as you're doing it. And that's the difference. Well, and to further the metaphor, a lot of the stuff, because now we're in it. 
a lot of the stuff, quote unquote, that is happening asynchronously or randomly or ineffectively, like decision making, where we don't really know what a decision is. We don't know who makes them. We don't have a process for making them, et cetera. It's like, Maybe what we're going to ask you to do is go on a walk to make a decision. But what that's going to eliminate is 15 trips up and down the stairs inside your house. <laughs> right, right, right. Wait, what? Where you're like back? looking for yeah. where you're looking for the hammer. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah. like you're we're channeling energy that you might not even be realize you're realize you're expending yeah. into a place that is considered and mm-hmm. where we're learning a new way. And I often feel like that's why people think it's in addition. Right. And I'm like, no, no, you're already running up and down the stairs. Right, right, right. That's happening. You don't consider that walking, but it is. But we're going to stop that because we're going to do something new. Yeah, I, I agree completely. While we're on the we don't have time, mm-hmm. I've touched this hot stove a lot lately. <laughs> um, I was... I was specifically told we don't have time to run experiments. Mm-hmm. What are the other versions of we don't have time? And you've given me good advice about this recently. So tell me how to get out of my own way on the we don't have time thing. Are you getting at what are the other ways that they make excuses around time or what are the other ways around solving the time problem? Both. What are the flavors of we don't have time and how do you get around. I think we've touched on some of them. We've touched on space clearing and we've touched on working in the work, but mm-hmm. what are some of your other moves? Because I do think this one is so common. Hmm. So I think other ways to work around the we're too busy, we're too slammed, we don't have time argument include who does have time. So mm-hmm. maybe if it isn't you, who is it, right? There are mm-hmm. always pockets of the organization that are actually underutilized, even while everyone else is completely maxed out. Mm-hmm. And they're often overlooked or, or undervalued. So finding the the pockets and the places in the organization where there is a little bit more bandwidth and interest is important. And then the other thing, it does just go back to priorities. I mean, we had we had Greg talking about essentialism on on the pod earlier this week. And the idea of what is most essential gets first place in Mm -hmm. in your calendar and in your life is one of those things that most folks have not taken a step back to look at. And so I think it's worth doing an exercise about what are the highest leverage things we could do? What are the things that are most holding us back? How do we sort of apply the 80-20 rule to the way we spend our time? Yeah. And what's funny is even, even saying, let's do that, let's do like a start, stop, continue on our time, hilariously suddenly you're doing the work like you're actually in yeah yeah, you're in an org design session already even without really knowing it so I do feel like one way or another my objection to this argument is let's get you some time or Uh let's find folks that have time that can start the journey and in so doing no matter what technique we use or what conversation we have we're already starting the work yeah yeah that's smart I also sometimes in this You know, it's a little stroppy to say, frankly, but I'm like, what change have you ever made that didn't require any investment of time or attention? Right. Did you lose 30 pounds and get a six pack because you just thought good thoughts about it? Right, right, Probs not. So that's the other thing is like, I do, and and for the people out there who who send me LinkedIn messages every day being like, I'm with you and how do I do? (laughs) It's like one of the best moves that I have relied on for a decade is, do you want it to be like it is now? Right. If you don't have any time to invest in making it different, then accept that 
the way it is now is the way it's going to be because having it be another way isn't important. Yeah. And I once had a coach say to me that anytime he had a client that said, I don't have time, he forced them to say out loud, that's not important to me. Right. And, and particularly around things like parenting, when people are like, I don't have time to check the homework. What you say is, it's not important to me to check my kids' homework. <laughs> and it's interesting this that shift. That sounds different. That, yeah, it's a little bit different. And, and I think we can all, you know, saying new ways of working or having a better OS or having an adaptive system or being able to, all of the things we're talking about is not important to me. Great. Do what you're doing. Do it forever. Godspeed. I think that is so important. And in fact, in my work with the Conscious Leadership Group, one of my favorite things was their their phrase around that same thing, which is just like, you're committed to whatever you've got. Yes. Right? Whatever you've got, that's what you're committed to. You designed that reality. You yes. built that world for yourself based on all your choices and actions. And so, yeah, to your point, not only uh, am I not interested, am I not prioritizing that homework, I'm committed to not checking it. Yes. And that's what's happening. And so the only way to change that, of course, is to then literally change your commitment and, and, and shift on a dime. And that's really hard to do. But the important thing about working with a partner or a coach is that they can help you identify what's actually true for you yeah. and then help you stay accountable to yourself and stay in integrity with yourself about taking action on that. So if you actually say out loud, checking my child's homework is not important, and then you're like, ugh, that hurts, you're out of integrity. Yeah. Like you're not, you're not authentic. And so then the trick is like, who can help you start a new pattern with some new, you know, possibilities and anchor habits. And that's, that's why, you know, it's better to, better to start than not start and continue to be out of alignment. Yeah. And I think this goes to another one that we hear a lot, which is just like, it's never going to be the perfect time. <laughs> You yeah. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really want, I used to be fluent in Spanish and I would like to be fluent in Spanish again. I, I, I'm always going to have a lot of things going on in my life because that's the kind yeah. of person I am and it's yep. never going to be the right time, but I can spend 10 minutes a day on Duolingo really yeah. like yeah. starting tomorrow. Actually, totally. it's like perfection is the enemy of good enough here. This with all things it's just whether you're talking about hiring or you're talking about enough time or you're talking about change management or you're talking about your work or whatever, there is never going to be a moment where in a complex system, everyone looks at each other and goes, you know what? We just really have the space and quiet to make some significant changes right now. It's <laughs> never going to happen. So That's like, right. let's not kid ourselves. It's not going to happen. No. It doesn't happen at the ready either. It doesn't happen anywhere. So we have to stop waiting for that moment to, to come. Well, and the second throwback to Greg's work here, but in the interview we talked about, if you had 10 minutes yeah. to move it forward, what would you do? I really like that way of thinking, right? It, what, what could we do in 10 minutes together? What could we set up? What could we create? What kind of space? Because that will at least get things moving. And I think we're learning from a lot of the research around habits and habit change that some movement, any movement, any new anchor habit, any any choice that you can make now that will prevent yourself from having to make that choice later. Like those are good. Th and instead of mortgaging, you know, the future for the present, we could flip the script a little bit. That'd be lovely. I like that we are ending this episode by talking about the present and started it with talking about our present reminding tattoos. That seems like a perfect place <laughs> to draw things to a close. If you like what you're hearing, we would like a review. Really, we would love it. Please do it or forward the show to someone who needs it. 
And a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good every week, especially today when I had a little sawing and banging going on in the background. Uh, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something today.